0: I'm Chris, and I'm here to understand why Bob keeps watching AEW.
1: And I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to help. With the aid of a show that I definitely don't always enjoy watching. This is the AEW Wrestling Fan, an AEW review podcast for people who are curious
0: about why Miles and Bob can't shut up about AEW. And people who are hoping Chris and Bob are going to continue their chest bump feud. Knives. I don't know how we're gonna escalate this, I but hear me out. Chest on a pole.
1: <laughs> oh that's that sounds horrifically dangerous. <laughs> this week, we fulfill Eddie Kingston's dream with the episode of AEW Rampage that originally aired on November 18th, 2022. You know what happens when you have the second part of a go-home show? You have to send hook. Welcome to episode two of the AEW Wrestling Fan, a podcast of weird commentary booths and weirder booking. Yes, Miles continues to let me have the run of the feed, and these are the consequences. Chris, thank you for joining me for episode two and for coming back for yet more AEW. Now you are finally even with me in
0: terms of hours of wrestling that we have made each other watch. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it. Oh. I like it. Oh. Now, if I weren't, I would say that I were because you liked the wrestling I subjected you to. Yeah. So you won. You won our series. You like WCW. So no matter what happens, I'm going to smile and say that I like it. Uh, So
1: that that way you win or to be polite?
0: That I win for sure. I'm fine being rude on a podcast, but I'm not going to walk away from this a loser.
1: (laughs) You know, like somebody who lies about enjoying what they're watching. Fair enough. (laughs) So, Chris, tell me, how in the fuck do you find out about wrestling things now that you're not really on any form of the socials media? Or do you just live in wrestling ignorance now? And what is that like?
0: Oh, I cannot recommend wrestling ignorance enough. Really? It is beautiful. It's just I get to be the guy who when you try to tell them about wrestling, they're like, oh, like like Ultimate Warrior, like Hulk Hogan. I love that stuff. I get to be that guy who like I had a moment when I was plugged in and now it was a long time ago, it feels. And when you introduce me to anything new, I have no preconceptions about it. A lot of these people here tonight were new to me. It's wonderful. I had forgotten how great it feels not to know things about wrestlers as people. Mm -hmm. And all of like the week to week bullshit, the things that are happening on television in between like the big matches that people tell you to watch. It's just so wonderful not to watch it. It's fantastic.
1: Chris Newton here plugging ignorance as a lifestyle.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is beautiful.
1: Look, as a person who also hates having to know things about the world, especially context for things that don't fucking matter. Fist bump. Yes. Solidarity about this. Mm -hmm. And with that. All right, Chris, lead us into this hour long spree of wrestling in Bob doesn't have to write the breakdown featuring special guest star Chris Newton.
0: Our commentary team tonight, introduced against the backdrop of all the pyro going off at once, is JR, Tony Schiavone, Jericho, and Excalibur. Is this gigantic incoherent fireworks display symbolic of the AEW commentary style? <laughs> Perhaps. There is no other rational explanation for this pyro.
1: <laughs> the pyro does get name dropped a lot. There's multiple times that the commentary team are like, oh, wow, that's a little bit more pyro than we were wanting. And then occasionally <laughs> they get freaked out because of how actually physically hot it gets like, next
0: to them. <laughs> This is bringing me back to the Attitude Era, this profusion of pyro. The mental image for me is like a peacock collapsing under the weight of its feathers. It's like (laughs) we are so eager to fuck the wrestling fan of today that we have invested in this gigantic mating display like, look at this. Look at all the pyro. And someday they're probably going to burn a wrestler's hair off. Yeah. For nothing. Which in some particular cases would be a fucking travesty. We open with a first-round match in the Eliminator Tournament for the world title, Lance Archer versus Master Strategist Ricky Starks, who announced on Dynamite that he would begin tonight's match backstage, thus gaining the element of surprise. And sure enough, the camera catches him making the first move in this human chess game by craftily being thrown into a garage door by Lance Archer. (laughs) Starks turns it around and bangs Archer into the garage door, but then, in a poetic re-reversal, Archer sends Starks into the garage door. Sadly, this complex sonnet of violence doesn't quite stick the couplet as Archer whips Starks into a zero impact collision with some generic cases that just happened to be sitting there. Yeah, should have stuck with the garage door material; it was much stronger. This is when I noticed there was a referee backstage telling Archer and Starks to get in the ring, even though—and look, I have to disclose my bias—the referee is an authority figure here. I am instinctively hostile to this overreach. <laughs> There's no match happening. The bell has not rung. No one is in the ring. No one is at ringside. The referee has no authority here. This is inappropriate. This is like <laughs> if I blew off a D&D game for a date, and then while I was trying to have a good time at a restaurant, the DM rocked up to my table and told me to make a fortitude save. Like, fuck you, dude. You can't be here. <laughs> Starks takes control by throwing a plastic trash bin at Archer. Then he leads Archer to ringside. In a walk-in brawl that is very light on brawl, suddenly realizing that hitting someone with a plastic trash bin is stupid, Stark's attempts to save face by throwing a metal trash bin at Archer, but Archer seizes control of the walk-in brawl despite this vicious escalation and leads Starks to the barricade. Wait, hold on. Uh, Timeout. out. I just gotta check. Do you always say bin or do you say can or do you say bin
1: and can interchangeably?
0: I would say I normally say can, mm-hmm. but if you say plastic trash can, it doesn't quite conjure... Bin sounds lighter, which is what this looked like. This looked like... Mm, okay. It hit him like a moderate rain, like a, like a... I can't express to you how light this trash can shot was. Yeah, the plastic one is sort of like, bink. Yes, it was like he was playing tiddlywinks against him, like physical, <laughs> like against his skin. <laughs> so yeah, it was the right word there. A dramatic back and forth ensues. Archer punches Starks up the stairs in the crowd. Starks punches back. Archer punches Starks down the stairs. Starks hits a flying punch to send Archer down the stairs. Taunt break. (laughs) Starks punches Archer, then Archer chokes Starks and tosses him back over the barricade where we started. You may call this sequence pointless. I call it chiastic. Archer jumps over the barricade onto Starks. He takes off his shirt and then he tosses Starks into the ring, at which point the bell finally rings and we have a wrestling match. Is this common on AEW, this walk and (laughs) brawl thing? Because again, this is very attitude era to me.
1: No, not particularly. I mean, getting out into the crowd and doing some shit. Yes, that is. But the starting backstage and then brawling their way to the ring. No, not particularly. This is unusual. I mean, not unheard of, but certainly not so common that I would... Be like yawning my way through this and going like, oh, this is, you know, typical Friday night, walking down Hmm. a ramp while sort of gesturing it, punching a man.
0: (laughs) Archer goes to punch Starks in the corner, but Starks takes over and chops him, then clotheslines Archer over the ropes and back to ringside. When he follows, though, Archer chokeslam Starks into the apron. He pauses to rip up a fan sign, which I greatly appreciate. That is classic heel work. Yeah. Archer bangs Starks into the barricade. The two exchange blows, and then it's back in the ring for more mutual clubbing and punching. Then to the corner, for yet more clubbing and punching. Archer puts Starks up on the turnbuckle and punches him. One commentator mentions Halloween, and Jericho (laughs) segues back to the action by saying, quote, Starks thinks it's Halloween because he's getting the crap kicked out of him. (laughs) Here, of course, Jericho is referencing the Halloween tradition of getting your ass kicked, as depicted in the classic Halloween special, it's the sight of your own blood, Charlie Brown.
1: I see that you are accustoming yourself to Jericho's commentary style, (laughs) and also just what it's like to have that, I mean, I know you've had the four-person booth now before, but like... Mm -hmm. Jericho in the mix. Jericho's growth on commentary has been something.
0: <laughs> God bless him for trying to get back to the match. I understand the impulse after listening to the four-man booth last time. A- at certain points, there are ho- like minutes of dynamite from last episode that you could listen to without ever knowing that these people are calling a wrestling match. I respect Jericho for trying to bring it back to the action, but that segue just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Feels like Halloween in there. (laughs) There's violence happening in this wrestling match, like on Halloween.
1: (laughs) He's very new to doing that. He used to pull focus constantly. When he first started, he was commenting with Tony Schiavone whenever it was like the black box theater Period of the pandemic and they were just like In the tiniest little room With everything painted black and almost Indistinguishable like the only way That you could tell that they were in the ring Was that they were higher up Jericho just wanted to do material At that point (laughs) But it was I don't know it was a lot of fun Definitely memorable For the amount of time That Jericho spent Screaming Skiavone
0: (laughs) So yeah it was good times speaking of awkward segues back to the outline archer has starks up on the turnbuckle and sets up the blackout which i gather is his finisher but starks punches his way out of it then dives off with a shoulder block that barely stuns archer ricky starks is powerful but he's not plastic garbage bin powerful (laughs) a starks lariat finally takes archer down starks tries a tornado ddt off the ropes but archer reverses and hits a lariat for a two count more clobbering blows Archer goes for a short-arm clothesline, but Starks counters into a successful Tornado DDT this time, for another two-count. What is it going to take to end this match? Archer thinks, as his eyes glaze over with frustration. Oh, I'm sorry, that was me. I did that.
1: <laughs> oh, not a fan of this. You know, Archer actually... Have you seen him wrestle before?
0: I don't think so. Not to my recollection.
1: He has done a bunch of shit in Japan and can actually do some high-flying shit. He actually had a match with Ray Fenix about a year ago, two years ago, that fucking ruled. And he can do that shit. And I don't know why... I mean, I know he's a heel now, and it would look really weird for him to be pulling out his good shit against Ricky Starks. But it's like, it's very unfortunate he can do cool shit and they don't let him do cool shit. It's, I'm not saying that I miss his other parts of his career, like whenever Jake the Snake was doing all his talking for him and it was sometimes very creepy and sometimes weirdly horny. But yeah, he can do more than they're letting him do and he is actually cooler than you are seeing. Okay,
0: yeah. I mean, like, this isn't awful. It's just that, like, The walk and brawl is a limited medium.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's a tedious match. I mean, except for how amazing Ricky Stark's butt is.
0: Starks pulls Archer toward him by the hair, another thing he said he would do on dynamite, and tries to hit a sunset flip, but Archer's too big, so he just pulls Starks up from between his legs. Starks ducks some punches, hits some punches. We get a big crisscross spot. Starks sort of parries a pounce attempt from Archer. Then Starks hits his spear and pins Archer for a three count. But after the bell... Brian Cage, who will be up against Stark soon, comes out to taunt him. That distracts Stark's from Archer, who punks him out, drives his head into the ring steps and then choke slams him onto the steps which are set up on their side. And meanwhile, Brian Cage just looks happy at watching someone else get hurt, which I guess we're supposed to read as a shitty thing to do, but like we're all watching wrestling, so what the fuck.
1: <laughs> There's not a lot to say because Lance Archer, sadly, has been relegated to guy they bring out whenever they need to Make up the numbers, but has somebody who can actually do shit and looks Mm. extremely threatening, which he can do so much more than that. But the curse of AEW is that they have an extremely deep roster and despite the amount of product they make, there is not really time enough to do everybody justice who can actually do shit
0: in the ring. We'll talk about this later, but like the weirdness of professional wrestling of like what other arena of entertainment is like, Jesus Christ, like we've got 75 people here who are really good performers, really great at their jobs, but we just don't have time to showcase them effectively. Like we can pay them, but they just have to sit in the back and eat at catering because we need this time for Mark Henry To interview someone.
1: Oh, I don't do not come at Mark Henry. Do not.
0: Oh, fuck right off with that. I've been watching Mark Henry since he was a fucking charity case for WWE, and I love him. I love a lot of things he's done, but just the level of performance that gets on national television through professional wrestling is fucking nuts. It's one of the (laughs) most beautiful and strange things about professional wrestling. Like the level of actor you need to be to be world famous in pro wrestling. (laughs) It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true.
0: Anyway, after a promo package for the full gear main event, MJF versus Moxley, we get another segment where Jericho brags he's going to keep the ROH belt at full gear. He's talking to Tony Schiavone. Sammy is standing right there, Sammy Guevara. Jericho's like, it's going to stay in the family and blah, blah, blah. But then he walks away and then Tony asks Sammy about it and Sammy's like, We'll see. So, big drama. It's weird, <laughs> though, to throw to the commentary. Like, the commentary table includes both Jericho and Tony Schiavone, so it's weird to go from an interview to the table where Tony's like,
1: "Yeah,
0: hey, what did you think about that question I just asked you? And Jericho's <laughs> like, well... <laughs> I guess it's strange because it punctures the very fragile suspension of disbelief we have that wrestlers don't watch wrestling, because if they did, they would see what people do after they leave the frame.
1: Mm, yeah. I don't know. I'm willing to accept a lot of bullshit. I'm like,
0: look, I have read Beckett. This is fine. <laughs> Back in the ring, it's time for match number two. <gasps> Lee Moriarty from the yeah. farm comes out with Stokely Hathaway to compete for the FTW championship, which I do not believe I had heard of, but I know the reference, of course. And then he walks out. <gasps> the FTW champion, Hook. <gasps> Bob, this is the sexiest hair I've ever seen. Yeah, I know. It's look at this man, the fucking jawline. We cut to a man dressed as Dusty Rhodes in the crowd. I barely notice. (laughs) Did you notice that Hook wears trunks like a boxer? Yeah. I find that cute.
1: (laughs) Okay, what else do you want to tell me about your boyfriend?
0: Hook makes his way to the ring. I bob my head to his theme song because A, it's a banger, and B, sexy reasons. Yes. As the match begins, Hook and Moriarty square off, giving Hook occasion for a gaze of brooding intensity. Fucking eyes. Bob, like, I don't know. Here's the thing. You can't, there's no exercise you do to make your eyes more intense. Yeah. You're either born with it or you're not. And he was clearly born with it. Hook is a natural. Put all the belts on him. I want to see this man wearing all the belts and nothing else.
1: (sighs) I'm so, I am high off of whatever it is that you have going on right now. This is, I'm so happy for you.
0: Look, if this is the optimal level of gay for you, I'm very sorry because it's about to get a lot gayer. (laughs) Tony mentions on commentary that he's known some dumb champions, a comment that Jericho takes personally. Jericho tries to turn this into a bit, but the fuck I care. Moriarty gets Hook into the corner and elbows him, but Hook scores with a takedown, works his way toward a heel hook. It's cool that he knows what a heel hook is. (laughs) Moriarty fights out and backpedals on his butt. Meanwhile, Hook gets into this fighting stance. Mm -hmm. It's like he's in Street Fighter. Yeah. This guy is, he's operating on a different level from everybody else. The rest of these wrestlers, like no shade on them. They look like wrestlers. Hook looks like the fucking designated thirst trap of a fighting game roster. Yeah. And like, like my ankle is fully caught. I've been in this situation before. I know how this goes. He does have some Sagat to him. Oh yeah, totally. Definitely some Sagat energy. Probably when he's older, he's going to get fully into that energy. Mm -hmm. But I like him. I like him where he is right now. I mean, Don't hold me to this like years later when, like, you're still doing next wrestling fan. I am still and like an itinerant podcaster guesting on other people's podcasts, <laughs> presumably
1: with your little podcast bindle.
0: Hook is an old man at that time. You may hear me say, motherfucker, This man is sexier now than he's ever been, but that's future me. Present me thinks he's perfect right now.
1: Oh, so happy for you.
0: Hook throws Moriarty, underhooks the arms, goes for a wrist lock. Moriarty reverses. Hook hits a beautiful Northern Lights suplex that makes me want to see the Northern Lights with him while we're cuddling under a blanket drinking cocoa. He's not outwardly enjoying himself but he's quiet, he's contemplative. You can see the tenderness just beneath the surface of this like hardened but boyish exterior. Mm -hmm. There's a softness underneath and the fact that it's quiet makes it so much better. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Hook gets Moriarty in what I think is like a bow and arrow lock or something. I don't care. Moriarty fights out and whips Hook into the ropes. But when he arm drags Hook, Hook flips through onto his feet and counters to a gut wrench. Yeah, that fucking thing was amazing. I could feel it in my gut, Bob. (laughs) At this point, I will read from my notes. Quote, even the way he stands up is sexy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i know this is not an awakening for you but this was something for you
0: <laughs> i'm just i'm so glad that i waited because like i think i've said on i, I think I've, I've characterized myself on podcasts before as like straight plus or minus and i'm really glad that i didn't like put out there like chris newton is bisexual to some degree because like look I don't know how I would label myself, but this is what I know. I'm a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. But if I go to Southern California and I'm, and I'm driving around and like it's getting to be evening and like maybe we've been to the beach, maybe we, like we've been out having fun and like we drive by the in and out a motherfucker might go to in and out
1: <gasps> Gasp.
0: I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like, like, am I straight? Am I bi? Here's all I know. Hook is a beautiful man. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say for sure. The rest of the data is not in, but goddamn. Okay. Back to the outline. None of that was in the script, by the way, but it could have been. (laughs) Hook extends his arms to his sides, plays to the crowd in a how you like me now pose. Lots. That's how much. That's how we like you. Hook's out of the ring. When he comes back in, Moriarty puts in the boots. He throws Hook into the corner, hits with some strikes, a face scrape along the ropes, a snap mare. But when he goes for a hold, Hook reverses. Moriarty re-reverses, kicks Hook's arm, sending Hook to the corner, selling Hook continues to fight valiantly, but Moriarty does a boot choke, hits a suplex, works Hook over as he lies on the ground, looking, in this wrestling fan's opinion, delicious. <laughs> Hook fights back, hits a lariat, hits some body punches that look kind of crap, but like in an endearing way. It's fine. Then it's straight into a knee strike, a throw, a back heel trip, a fisherman throw. Great looking stuff from Hook. Hook. This whole sequence, just great, great, great looking, unbelievably good looking stuff. (laughs) Moriarty fights back for a minute by driving Hook's head into the second turnbuckle, hitting a diving knee drop, getting only two. After that, he tries a Kimura, which JR is at pains to point out is just a double wrist lock. (laughs) I definitely personally recognize the sound of a man arguing with no one. Hook gets a foot on the ropes, Matt wrestling until Moriarty hits a border city stretch, but Hook counters with a red rum, formerly known as a Taz mission. But Taz is dead to us. Like, let's be honest. Taz, he's been dead to us for a long time. It's Hook now. (laughs) Wow. That's what he calls his katahajime. And I love Taz, but not like I love this. Moriarty taps out. Hook gets up. The commentators call him a sensation. Hard agree. I have all kinds of sensations right now. Hook (laughs) leaves without having his hand raised. Bryce Remsberg looks confused, but Hook's not here for glory. He is here to win wrestling matches and expand my sexual horizons. And listener, I can see for miles and miles. (laughs) Do we have any other comments about Hook? Do you want to throw anything in here?
1: Yes. I think it's very important that you know a little bit more about Hook because you are entering way late in the story of Hook. And... God bless you for it. I'm very happy that you arrived at this
0: fully formed twink twunk. You know, it says here on my notes, I would enter hook anytime. So let me hear (laughs) hands on my cheeks. Please, please tell me
1: first. This is just a note that I had to myself because I went back and looked at tweets that I had made whenever I watched a pay-per-view with my mother and mom saw Hook and said, he has Dwight Yoakam hair. So there you go. <laughs> Hook had his debut match in December 2021, but he'd been mm. on screen for, God, kind of since a good eight months into the pandemic. He was on our screens because Taz showed up with Brian Cage for the casino ladder match. And Cage won it. And then at that point, Taz started to form Team Taz and added Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, and that became the Team Taz stable. At that point, Hook started showing up, and Hook was not wrestling. Hook was wearing regular street clothes, a slouchy gray hoodie, usually up. His hair was a mess, as it always is, beautiful. Eating a small, personal size bag of chips most of the time. Fuck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Chris is biting his lip right now. All we would get from him was him kind of slouching to the ring sometimes and being at ringside, kind of just skulking and looking irritated. And then other times, if it was a backstage thing, he might be part of a beatdown. That's it. Several months of this. Progressively, the internet starts to take more and more and more notice because how could they not? Of course, you are experiencing this.
0: You are a frog who has been boiling for a long time. I've I've been hurled bodily into this fully boiling water.
1: Yeah, I know this is a lot for you. There started to be signs in the crowd that just said "send hook." That became a meme that would also like proliferate on Twitter, and so there would be calls to like send hook for like any match allegedly the fans of hook are called hookers i don't know to what extent that is widely used but it's very charming and then cm punk came and you know started to get into feuds and shit and calls out team taz and name dropped hook And everybody was like, is this it? Now, obviously, Hook's first match was not going to be with CM Punk, but it was extremely (laughs) exciting. And then it was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Hook is actually going to wrestle. And Hook had his first wrestling match, came out and did the thing where comes out, you know, takes off the shirt and everything, the hoodie.
0: And. Oh, 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 oh. No, hold on. He takes off his hoodie like, he comes out and then he takes off his hoodie, like a reveal?
1: I think he did the first time.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, this is, I know. Like, presumably you don't know the date of this, but like, I know that it happened. I can figure it out. Yes, okay. Okay, go ahead.
1: This is the sound of one man becoming a lifelong obsessive Hook
0: fan, and I'm very excited for you. I cannot wait to read it. I'm not going to be like his fan once we get married, but okay, go ahead.
1: look i need to be invited because i introduced you functionally okay that's fine (gasps) wow i'm not gonna give you his number now okay (laughs) i'm sure you not that you need it you'll just show up outside of his hotel room (laughs) okay and he would come to the ring and do this thing where he you may have seen it in this match i don't know rampage cuts a lot of things like a lot of the entrances and stuff He will go to the turnbuckle, usually Mm. the one with the camera like positioned on it, and go like cross his arms and just like rest his head on the turnbuckle, like, oh, I can't even fucking believe I'm out of bed for this. And it's unbelievable. He looks so tired. He looks like the classic tired Gen Z boy. He is
0: beautiful. So fucking good. It's like, this is a man who has better things to do. Is yes. this? And it's like, yes, yes, you do. It's me. <laughs> okay.
1: This match that you just watched leaves him undefeated with a 16-0 record. And it's not that he hasn't had competitive matches. He's not been fed like a bunch of like nothing but jobbers. Uh-huh. His first match was against Fuego Del Sol, who's like... You know, not a jobber, but definitely like one of their can win on Dark, but nowhere else, but can definitely put on a good match. I saw that match. Oh, you yeah. did? Uh-huh. Oh, aw. you've been looking up your boyfriend. I'm, this is... I'm. How many of these matches have you seen now?
0: I mean, you know, I've only seen a couple. Uh, look, I've seen a few, but... <laughs> I only have so much YouTube time in my day and I have listened to his theme song a lot. It's a goddamn banger. It's really good. It's really good. Did you know that he chose it himself?
1: Oh, yeah. He's done a tag team match with Action Bronson.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I saw that he did that. That's cool, too.
1: He's fantastic. And also, Taz was on commentary for Hook's first match. And I want to say one of the things that's been really cool about having Taz on commentary for anything that Hook's been doing is that Taz never pretends to have some kind of like special insight into Hook and never pretends like he's a killer because he's my son or something like that. It's never that. It's like, oh, I don't know what the fuck he'll do. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, no, he lives with me, but like he's just an animal and like, well. And is always really good about making sure that he puts over a hook, but not in such a way that makes it about Taz, Mm -hmm. which is like, God, we're watching in NXT at the moment, Ric Flair, you know, is at ringside with Charlotte. And like, if Ric Flair's there, it's about Ric Flair. Right. And so, Taz is amazing, and I love Taz for making sure that Hook is getting all of the credit for being the kind of person that, like, in the kind of wrestler that he is. He's great. And I love getting to have Taz on commentary to, like, offer this interesting perspective on him that is, like, intimate in that it's like, yeah, this is my kid, but at the same time, like... Yeah, but I don't understand why he is the way he is or have any insight into why he's going to destroy this man other than to tell you he's definitely going to destroy him because this is just a thing he does.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's fascinating to me about Hook is the way that, like, I've never worried before on a podcast that the sound of my teeth gritting are going to be a problem in, like, the final edit, but I really am just, like, sitting here with, like, wide eyes, like, oh, yes. (laughs) Tell me more about Hook. Is it weird that his predetermined 16-0 and win record does a lot for me? No, I don't. I mean, look, Chris...
1: I don't know if you've heard all of hard choices. I presume you seem like a fan. I don't know if I'm a person who can tell you what is or is not weird. I think a lot of people would tell you that asking me, I'm not a good control group for that. So I'm going to say you are extremely normal. I think that gritting your teeth from an overwhelm of sexiness at the way that a wrestler's hair looks is probably... A universal experience?
0: I, you know what? I leave it to the listeners. Listeners, please get back to me. You can only do this through Bob because I'm not on social media because I don't want to hear people's opinions in the normal course of events. But here I am lost. Please inform – like, imagine being confronted with like pure fucking sex in like – in just like but, – but also low-key like just like in a hoodie, like messy hair, just like coming out the side, like this fucking – Mm, And it does something so deep for you that you're just like completely, (laughs) your whole body is vibing with it. Is that a normal thing or do I need to see a doctor? Please let me know.
1: And also, you can actually get it, Chris. Not through traditional social media, but if you comment, Chris is a patron of Next Wrestling Fan and will have access to the comments can't promise you he'll read them or look at them or respond to them but if you come at him combatively enough he generally can't resist Mm. yeah he just nodded so i will also warn you if you come at him combatively he will respond combatively so be careful (laughs) this is a person who's like oh i see you brought a firework Thank God I brought fucking napalm. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: just beware. Yeah, don't end up like Bob. <laughs> so I guess we should move on now.
1: I know. But look, I truly, Mazeltov. I'm so glad for you. Whenever I introduced you to the show, I didn't think I was introducing you to your future husband. But I'm really happy to find out that this is what's happening.
0: No, I appreciate it. You have a special place in this and I'm like, you're not going to get the first interview because like there's a lot of wrestling press and everything. And this is a small podcast, but I do think that ultimately like down the road, we could do one of these shows together and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be great. It would be great to like hold hands with somebody and podcast with them. I think that'd be really sweet. Okay. So- Next up, a recap of something that happened in the last Rampage, as well as an interview segment, allegedly moving the storyline forward, but either they didn't explain things very well or I was too distracted thinking about Hook's Final Fantasy hair because I did not understand this situation. There's a man named John Silver. Yes. There's some other guy who's in the Dark Order with him. Didn't get his name. Somebody named Roosh. Yep. Some guy who's called something the assistant. Jose the assistant. Yes. Please explain what the fuck is going on.
1: Okay. So... (laughs) aew debuted in 2019 <laughs> okay oh, fuck no no don't worry this is gonna be quick okay the dark order was a staple that was part of that kind of this weird thing they would pop up on the screen and be like are you hopeless join the dark order it was mm-hmm. very scientology didn't have a leader that we knew of and so there was a lot of like oh is this person the leader no it turns out they're not the leader is this person the leader no it turns out they're not the leader And so just this like collection of people Definitely a heel stable Then March 18th 2020 not a great time for it The world is what it is But Mr. Brody Lee debuted as the leader Of the Dark Order Very much this tyrannical like Vince McMahon Like control freak Did some interesting like filmed Packages where he's like Going you sneezed around me Fuck you All this good stuff it was great the Dark Order starts to get taken extremely seriously and booked like a threatening stable. There was an excellent match with Brody Lee and Cody Rose. It was a dog collar match. It's very bloody, as you'd imagine. Fucking nuts. Brody Lee held the TNT title for a little while. During this time, Ten, who is the person who is next to John Silvers, is, I believe, added to the Dark Order and is often talked about as like handpicked by Mr. Brody Lee. To be like a star in the Dark Order. And you can see the muscles on him. He's good in the ring. He's kind of their guy who mows through people person. In the stable. And so Dark Order is kicking ass taking names. Definitely one of the bigger threats within AEW. Cut to, sadly, Brody Lee passes away in December of 2020. So no longer in charge of the Dark Order. At this point, one of the things that they did, they did like a very beautiful celebration of life for Brody Lee, like an AEW program. And then they also made his son, Brody Lee Jr. He's given the name Negative One, because a lot of the members of the Dark Order have numbers as their name. He takes over running the Dark Order. At this point, the Dark Order goes from a heel stable to not just a face stable, but pure Chikara bullshit, mm-hmm. as John Moxley calls it. It is comedy wrestling most of the time. At this point in the storyline, you are now seeing John Silvers cost 10 this particular match. But Roosh and his group have been working on 10 for a while now. And the kind of thrust of their argument has been you're a real wrestler. What are you doing with these comedy wrestlers? Uh And Ten is, it seems like in this backstage thing, is going like, yeah, I am a real wrestler. What the fuck? Because John Silver's Mm. is like, it's not even a big deal. Who cares? Because normally the Dark Order have been like incredibly (laughs) family-like. They've been so goddamn adorable there was an amazing moment whenever like Hangman Page like joined them and it was such like a the family's back together everything's okay (laughs) and then there was a moment in that YouTube show that the Elite does where the Dark Order were just like fucking around and Trent Beretta's mother was like so charmed by them that she was about to join the cult and trent had to be like no mom no come on come on we're leaving and she's like no but they're so sweet she's like no mom (laughs) we're leaving no they have been a goddamn delight and ten is clearly getting to a breaking point and so we're starting to see like uh is he gonna turn heel again and leave the dark order which is especially meaningful in the context of the fact that He was handpicked by Brody Lee to be part of the Dark Order. And then now the Dark Order is under the control of, I mean, nominally under the control of Brody Lee Jr. And so, like, him leaving would be, it would have a bunch of emotional impact. So that's what's happening.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: I just so you know, there was an amazing moment. I don't remember why it was happening, it was a dark match. There was, for some reason, somebody had a bunch of, like, $1 bills out, and Bryce Rumsberg was the referee negative one was like at ringside and there was like just this crumpled money everywhere and he just started like grabbing it and like bryce roseberg was like also going like just giving him the money also (laughs) it was so goddamn cute taz and excalibur were on commentary and were dying they were like this is the greatest thing that has ever happened eight-year-olds should be at ringside for everything (laughs) this is what wrestling should be And uh, negative one used to get to be on a lot, especially right after Brody Lee passed away. he did a bunch of stuff. And now he's like, you know, has more of a normal kid life. But he still gets to come out periodically and do special stuff. And he has his own special mask and everything. But yeah, negative one is extremely important
0: to my heart. And the dark order is everything. Oh, geez. That is touching. Is this what it feels like to be you doing a podcast?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why I have a Dark Order hoodie. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Dark Order are the most Chikara of the parts of AEW. I mean, did you recognize John Silver's?
0: No, he didn't jump out at me. He was the Shard. Oh, okay. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Evil Uno. I think Uno did some stuff in Chikara for a while. Hmm. They do a lot of the good comedy stuff and Colt Cabana joined them for a while. And it was amazing because they spent a period of time where they were sort of like Colt Cabana lost like a bunch of matches. And it was, you know, everybody wanted Colt Cabana to win matches. And so it was like such a fucking bummer to watch Colt Cabana lose. And then the Dark Order was like kind of going like, hey, but we want to be your friends. And so he would do some like tag stuff and he started like having wins and then he eventually joins the dark order and this was before their face turn and there was (laughs) like he joined them and was still continuing to be like 100% cult cabana in the midst of this like heel stable and there was that meme went around of like stormtroopers and then just like big bird (laughs) <laughs> and it was like, yep, that's exactly what it was like. It precious. I miss you, Colt Cabana, so much. I wish you were on AEW all the time. I don't know or care whether or not Sam Punk
0: is in the right. Fuck him. He's not as adorable as you are. Okay, well, thank you for explaining that to me. I know, that, I know that's a lot. I think I have a pretty good grasp of it at this point. I have to be completely honest and tell you that I was image searching Hook during some of that. Look,
1: I know... That you're in the limerence phase of this, what I know is going to be a long-standing, deep, committed, emotional, like, bond with Hook. And so I understand, like, there's only so much brain power you can devote to anything that's not about him.
0: Yeah, 100%. It's hard to do a podcast in this state, but I'll struggle through somehow. It's time for match number three. Athena enters with her cool wing apparatus for exactly one second until a stagehand takes it off of her. That's how you can tell that a wrestler has a cool prop. You get to see it for one second.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: It's like when you have a baby with a cool outfit. He's like, "Okay, put this on. All right. Now we're going to walk in the room. Okay, now, whatever. uh, You know.
1: (laughs) Rub applesauce directly on it.
0: (laughs) As Athena comes to ringside, we get a recap montage of her hitting opponents after the bell. Next, we get her opponent for tonight, Madison Rain, who enters. And we cut to a backstage promo where Rain says she respects Athena, but not the way she's been attacking people after matches. Ironically, this promo causes us to miss Athena attacking Rain from behind before the match. Mm. There's no rule against attacking people before the match, as we have thoroughly established. But Rain quickly comes back with a boot and an elbow in the corner. Rain hits Athena from the top rope. Athena takes powder. Madison follows, but when she tries to hit some kind of wheelbarrow move, Athena swings her into the barricade tosses her to the ground, then tosses her back in the ring and the crowd chants, Athena. So what's going on here? Because they've told me that she's been attacking people and that we shouldn't respect that. But the crowd is chanting for her. What's the status of Athena?
1: Definitely a heel, but also she fucking rules Mm. and they like it when she's mean, understandably. Mm. But also Madison Rain is nothing. I mean, in AEW, the way they're booking her. Miles has assured me that, yes, she is something. I remain skeptical,
0: but... Miles isn't here. It's fine. I don't even know who Madison Rain is, but, you know, like, fuck her. I don't care. I guess she was in Shimmer.
1: And presumably, if she was in Shimmer, she did some for real shit. But I haven't watched Shimmer. No comedy wrestling there. So, Madison Rain has only ever, I think, won against people who were nobody, she was brought on specifically to be a trainer. That's mainly what she does. And then gets brought out to like, I don't know, have matches like this that are serving what I can only. OK, Tony Khan thinks they're serving a purpose. What that is, I don't know.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's like almost like a Bastion Booger situation. I don't know what those words mean, but sure. OK. Both Athena and Madison Rain get back in the ring. Athena does a handspring slap followed by a royal wave to the crowd. I cannot hate someone who is this much of a dick. I don't care. Like, whatever. Clearly, they're trying to push a heel thing here. But as you said, like, before you even said it, I loved her for being mean. And I still do. Yeah. Madison sneaks in a pin attempt, but Athena escapes, hits a big kick, then hits a front suplex on Madison. Madison with some big strikes. She goes for her finisher, but Athena counters with a blockbuster-like move. It's kind of a flipping uh, cutter big strikes, then hits what I guess must be her finisher. What is her finisher called?
1: Oh, how dare you? I looked up other
0: people's finishers. I did not look up Athena's. I don't know. Could be anything. I I only kind of caught it. It looks like kind of like a fireman's carry into a codebreaker kind of thing. Anyway. Oh,
1: Lord. Oh, you're going to use those terms. Okay. Well, yep. It's definitely a blockbuster video.
0: (laughs) Okay. Who let us have this podcast together? This is Miles' fault. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: that's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Blame the father. Yeah,
0: yeah. I feel like we're making prank calls and somebody's going to call Miles and be like, do you know what they've been doing with your phone? (laughs) Athena pins Rain for the win, but Athena attacks her after the bell. And when the referee, Aubrey Edwards, tries to stop her, Athena whacks Aubrey to huge boos. Now, originally, before this happened, my note here was that I like... Aubrey Edwards' arms, but now in light of this incident, it seems inappropriate to comment on how much I like Aubrey Edwards' arms. Wishing her just the fastest possible recovery from getting generically whacked like this. I hope she's okay.
1: (laughs) Asterisk, I hope her arms are okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Athena goes back to Madison, but Mercedes Martinez comes out to confront her. Athena slinks away as the crowd chants, you fucked up. Mm -hmm. So apparently we're building to that. Anything you want to tell me about Athena, Madison Rain? Aubrey Edwards.
1: Athena's awesome. Mm-hmm. I really am glad that she's in AEW. I wish that she got to do more. I wish that they booked stuff differently because she's really cool. I mean, the typical shit. But also, I don't know. Women's wrestling is not... It's not where a lot of the jokes happen with good reason. I get it. I get it. So it's not necessarily my forte to have like an opinion on it. If you want an opinion... You can certainly get in touch with Miles for a veritable essay compendium of them.
0: <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's fine. The listener will never hear the yawning silence of a joke not being told. <laughs> Miles,
1: I love you so much. I love you so much as well. You know, you know who you are. We both do. It's fine, and God knows you know who I am.
0: He's not gonna hear this.
1: I don't know what Lucas will or won't do, so I don't really know.
0: We get a recap of last week when QT hit Danhausen with a pile driver on the ring steps, and backstage we get an interview segment kind of. Wait, hold on, I just wanna say I
1: cringed. I cringed because I don't know why, but like doing it on the steps, I've just was like, oh my God, QT your ass, your, your <laughs> tailbone. That looks horrific. I am so, why are you, you don't have to do it on the steps. You've been wrestling a long time. They'll let you do it in the ring now. You don't have to be like a tough guy. It's okay. Okay.
0: Oh, my God. Bob, you are the softest smark in the world. You're looking at a pile driver and you're like, oh, no, his poor butt. Yeah. His poor butt landing on those steps with his butt. I know. Yeah. Is that the wrong reaction? When you go to a show, do you bring the wrestlers like soup and stuff?
1: (laughs) No, because they wouldn't take food from a stranger. I'm not a
0: fucking idiot. Oh, yeah. They're carnies, too. They know. They know that. They know better than that. They'll take drugs from a stranger, but not food. (laughs) Anyway. Backstage, Renee has assembled the factory, apparently QT's faction, I guess. I have not encountered these people before, to my recollection. At the request of the best friends, who I've at least heard of, I recognize Chuck Taylor. Maybe going by Chucky now? I don't know. No, he's going by Chuck Taylor. And Orange Cassidy, but not the other guy. Who's the other best friend? Trent. Trent, okay.
1: Trent Beretta. Trent was on WWE for a while. He was on NXT for a while. He's done a bunch of indie stuff, but he's been buddies with Chuck Taylor for a long time. Okay. Orange Cassidy says,
0: all of us want to fight all of you to the factory. The factory objects there are only three of the best friends, but then somebody named Rocky shows up to make it four. Yep. Yeah. And to make up the rest of the difference, Orange Cassidy tells the factory to watch a spooky video, which plays on a monitor as we see it on our screens. Orange Cassidy leaves with the best friends, to also tells Renee to leave. She doesn't need to see this. The film we see is an artsy little affair. It's got a movie reel, a glimpse of Danhausen. Loose teeth pouring on a table, et cetera. And then we cut back to the factory, who are saying like it's just Danhausen. Like it's literally just Danhausen again. We'll take him out again. Once again, I mean, like, I got this. I understood it. I understand like what they're doing here, but this segment is of minimal value to me as a person who's not already invested in this story. I don't know. I don't I'm curious where we're going with Danhausen. But I don't know. Do you have any insight? Well, you've already seen the next thing, so you don't know. I mean, you can't you can't spoil it for me.
1: I know. I can't tell you. I guess what I'll say is Danhausen is not treated the way he's treated on the Indies. And that is a goddamn shame, and I'm really sorry. So, whenever you see Dan Housen, you're not going to get what you want. And I apologize in advance.
0: Okay. Next up, we get an extended House of Black vignette. Oh, he didn't care for it? Featuring Malachi Black and his cultists. A guy I know is Buddy Murphy and two people I don't know at all, beating some people up and posing to a voiceover. I wrote some notes on the voiceover just to give you like the summary of what's because I'm not going to. They see the world and its symptoms as nothing less than demonic possession. They want to stop all idleness and vanity that humans have bestowed on themselves. They live in a world where complacency and the subpar have become both standard and rewarded, which is Mm -hmm. a very wordy phrase. Also, I'm not really sure that the subpar logically can become standard, but fine. What? Like, it's a cult. It's all right. Then this is an oath being administered. So the members of the House of Black are supposed to stand up, feel the creed in body and bone and recite with us. They want to merge with the gray. That's a key thing. I hope the commentators pick that up the next time they have a wrestling match. Remember, this other guy is a reach advantage, but this other guy, he either has or desires to merge with the gray. So we got to bear that in mind. <laughs> oh, brothers of the house, hear me as it is my decision, blah, 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 blah. They want to do their plight to hear the whispers of forbidden knowledge hidden from even the devil's sight. And presumably, this pays off at the pay per view, right? Like, having already watched it, you would know that what the forbidden knowledge is that's hidden from the devil's sight. They pay that off.
1: I mean, it's probably butt stuff, right? Uh, It's usually butt
0: stuff. All right. And now members of the House of Black, please rise. And then everybody stands up wearing the hoods. And so we see that all these people are members of the House of Black. And so in summary, there is a stable called the House of Black. And all these motherfuckers are in it.
1: I'm going to make you like them. I think 5% more. The blonde girl who is part of their stable Mm -hmm. started out... In a different group called the Varsity Blondes.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: she has a cheerleading background. Uh And so her gimmick obviously was like cheerleader who can kick your ass. She was the kind of baby sister role of these, these two blonde tag team wrestlers. And at a certain point, I think Malachi Black came out and he did his black mist in the face. But somebody ducked and Julia Hart got it. Then she was, like, wearing an eye patch for a while. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously, this blackness started to spread, like, out from under the eye patch. hmm They teased a turn, and then she didn't turn. And then later on, she 100% turned and now has been adopted by her three goth dads.
0: Goth dads are good. I'm into this turn for the character, for her, from, mm-hmm. from the way you're describing it. I'll give you that. But I do worry... You know what? I've seen the end of this story, and it's Nikki Cross in fucking Sanity in NXT. I mean, you're not there yet, but Nikki Cross is phenomenal, and that stable was the shit. And, you know, they didn't know what they had with Nikki Cross. She got so much better once she left. So all the best to this ex-Varsity blonde. I hope that she escapes this pretentious Malachi Black bullshit and gets to do fun things.
1: I know. I just, look, don't we all want three
0: dangerous goth dads?
1: Don't we all want that? Am I alone?
0: <laughs> you know, if it's Malachi Black, then no.
1: What if you had three dangerous goth moms? Mm. Like Angelica Houston.
0: Oh, d- you can. That is not a fair move in working this out with someone. You can't like in no place in argument can you be like, okay, but imagine they were Angelica Houston. I know. It's a totally different situation.
1: <laughs> She's a game changer. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah.
0: So statuesque. Right? About this House of Black promo vignette. This is not cool. It is not good. You may be mistaken about that, listener. It's because it is read by Doug Bradley, the guy who played Pinhead. Oh, okay. So it sounds cool, even though it is nothing. Yeah, that's fair. And for comparison purposes, I want to give you an alternative script as best I can, as read by Doug Bradley. Here we go. Open on dramatic shot of Malachi Black prepare for trouble and make it double to protect the world from devastation to unite all peoples within our nation to denounce the evils of truth and love to extend our reach to the stars above Malachi that other guy (laughs) House Black blasts off at the speed of light Surrender now, or prepare to fight. And we all stand up and we're wearing hoods. It's very dramatic.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, man. Team Rock is the fucking
0: best. I know, it's not a fair comparison, but we go now to a pre-match, not like an interview exactly, like a mediated promo between Team DDT, June Akiyama and Takeshita, and the team of Eddie Kingston and Ortiz. Two teams are split screen, Mark Henry. Is on another screen in between them. I'm just kind of dangling there, which is very much how the segment sounds as well. He asks Eddie Kingston whether this is still a dream match for him, as he said before. But Eddie has decided not to talk in the segment. He's chosen the better part. He's just standing there looking intense and wearing a t-shirt of himself mean mugging too. So, he doesn't even have to do that. He's got his mean face on his t-shirt. So, he just gets to like be in, you know, pre-match contemplation. So, Ortiz takes the lead saying he and Eddie... Train for wrestling and they're the best. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Over on Team DDT, Takeshita says this dream match is going to be a nightmare and Eddie is going to have to fight for his life. Takeshita, not much of a promo, but it's fine. Then Mark Henry says his catchphrase, it's time, which he delivers in the cheesiest way. I was introduced to this catchphrase on Hey, EW, where I thought that the way Mark Henry was saying it to RJ City was a joke. And to see him deliver it the exact same way on actual national television. Yeah. Is fucking hilarious. It's adorable. I also find it cute too. I do. It's just that. The thing is, you have to have, I don't know how much of the context you know here.
1: Uh, Probably none.
0: Mark Henry has got to be high in the running, even in the competitive world of pro wrestling, for like long term getting paid for things he's not good at. This man. Good for... Oh, absolutely. The money in pro wrestling is filthy dirty at its source and it's going nowhere good. By all means, if this adorable strongman can grab it somewhere along the way, go for it. But this dude hired by WWE, like as this prospect, like this big, huge thing, right? And just like his, I forget why it happened, but like he had a bad break at like the strongman competition or whatever he was supposed to be in. Oh, the Olympics. And like did really poorly and like he didn't take to pro wrestling really and he kind of got buried in this like very minimal role compared to like what he was being paid and like the hype and everything. It took him forever to like kind of come up with the ranks just like and now to see him doing this, to see him transitioning into another role that he is like clearly not prepared for, it is heartwarming in a way. Oh, I thought the point was that he's not good at it.
1: I have taken this very much as like, like, it's not a joke. It's like, isn't it lovely that your dorky dad is doing this? Like, is that nice? Like, there's a lot of dorky dads in AEW. And if you are not there for dads in the backyard with a camcorder, like, putting on their own show, then you're not going to thrive in this environment. Like, it is just wall-to-wall dads.
0: <laughs> You're absolutely right. With just that, you've turned upside down my view of AEW. You're absolutely right.
1: It's why I love it. by dorky camcorder dads for dorky camcorder dads. And to be clear, not dads with camcorders like filming their kids you know (laughs) doing a recital this is dads in the backyard like going no no you go over there and do this other thing and like we're gonna look super cool and then like we're gonna show it to other people later and they're gonna think we're cool and I'm like oh my god you are all adorable you are adorable and then periodically something cool happens that's what AEW is and then sometimes it's awful but the rest of the time super adorable dads And then some cool shit.
0: You're absolutely right. You've opened my eyes to this. And I was too, like, I was too judgmental about the product to see it. And, like, to see how sweet it is that all these guys are, like...
1: AEW, it's the farm upstate where middle-aged dads can go to roam free and hang out with other middle-aged dads and do fun middle-aged dad things together. And God bless it. Tony Khan is running a, like... Middle-aged dad, you know, this for retired middle-aged dads who can just, like, do this after, after working hard.
0: All right. Well, that's the end of the segment. I have, like, a I have a thing written here in the breakdown about how maybe I didn't need this segment. Maybe I don't need at this stage in my wrestling fandom to see Mark Henry trying and failing to get his questions answered. Maybe that doesn't need to be a whole segment. Maybe Takeshita saying that the dream will become a nightmare is like, but you know what? You've turned me around completely on this. Oh, Mark Henry's a great guy. I hope that he continues to thrive in the world of pro wrestling because not that he belongs there, but he definitely doesn't belong anywhere else. Yeah, he's happy. It's time for our main event. Commentary talks up what a dream match this is for Eddie as Eddie very intensely walks to the ring. He squares up to Akiyama, maintains eye contact, but despite Kingston's protests, Takeshita starts against Eddie for Team DDT. This sets up the story of the match, which is way more important than the play-by-play in between plot points. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to elide a lot in this match because it's all about the story being told here. Kingston locks up with Takeshita, trades holds, while commentary notes that Kingston won the last time these two faced each other, but Takeshita's grown a lot since then. Kingston eventually takes control, plants Takeshita with a belly-to-belly suplex, then looks at Akiyama. There's a lot of looking in this match. I would say... The key move in this match is looking. He tags in Ortiz. Once Ortiz is tagged in, though, Kingston runs over and sucker punches Akiyama, who's on the apron. Takeshita manages to turn the tide against Ortiz, then tags in Akiyama, who runs over to knock Kingston off the apron in retaliation, then works over Ortiz, hits a pile driver. Akiyama goes for a pin, but when Kingston enters the ring to break it up, Akiyama pops up to face him down, which is great. I love to see tag team wrestlers being aware that they're in a tag team match, And that they know how tag team matches work. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's good shit. It is always frustrating to see the look of incredulity on a tag team wrestler's face when the other partner, the person who's the partner of the person they're pinning, runs in to break up the pin. And it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Somehow I never expect this to happen. So yeah, this is a great spot. Akiyama tags in Takeshita. They double team Ortiz for a while before Akiyama exits the ring. Takeshita maintains control, tags Akiyama back in. I missed a bit here because it was screen in screen. Oh, yeah. And I, I saw an ad and I thought for a beautiful moment that this was like a remake of the seventh Doctor era of Doctor Who uh, based on the costuming of one individual, but it turned out just to be Elton John. Extremely disappointing. I know. Nah. I know. Anyway, when I got back to watching wrestling, Takeshita was working over Ortiz in the corner, Ortiz comes in with a top rope cutter, then goes to the corner, gets a tag from Eddie. Eddie keeps working on Takeshita, who briefly turns the tide before Eddie wins our hearts forever with a nonchalant eye poke. (laughs) And then hits a butterfly suplex. Eye poke to butterfly suplex. Perfect. Ideal. Eddie covers Takeshita. But June comes in to break up the pin, and this time it's Eddie who pops up to face down June. After June leaves, Eddie hits another suplex on Takeshta, then tags in Ortiz for yet another suplex on Takeshta. Ortiz tags Eddie back in, this time they hit a double suplex on Takeshta. Yeah. Eddie tags in Ortiz who hits a Northern Light suplex on Takeshta, then Ortiz hits Takeshta with a back rake. Because th- there are basically two kinds of wrestling fans. Suplex marks and back rake marks. Both are vital to the wrestling ecosystem. Both must be served.
1: <laughs> Wait, what's a back rake? I just want to make sure I understand.
0: That's where you uh, hear a listener, I'm making tiger claws. You rake the back.
1: Oh, did he then do the like, ah, tiger claws? Yes, he did. Ah, yes. I didn't see if he did it this time. But like Ortiz used to do that a bunch at the beginning of his 8W career and then like stopped doing it for a really long time. And our household mourned, like, truly mourned the loss of him doing the little, like, ah, (laughs) like, let me at him. And now it's back. And I'm like, Ortiz, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy
0: for me. I'm so happy for this ecosystem. You, Bob, are a back rake, Mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100% I am. I'm glad that you're here. You're vital to the survival of this whole environment. <laughs> you know,
1: like in the fish tanks, there's always that one fish that like eats all the bullshit <laughs> so that way it keeps the tank clean. That's me. I'm that fish.
0: Ortiz tags in Eddie. They both beat on Takeshita despite a momentary comeback. And finally, Eddie lands a huge DDT on Takeshita. Takeshita kicks out of the cover. Eddie then takes down his straps, which is a huge thing. Yes. You could do a whole, if, if you could major in pro wrestling bullshit, if you could major in Gaga in college, you could do a whole essay about like taking down the straps and what it means. Oh, yeah. Eddie takes down the straps. He challenges Takeshita to chop him, <gasps> which leads to a chop and elbow contest that devolves into Takeshita taking Eddie down with a flying clothesline, at which point both men tag in their partners. Things break down a bit at this point. This is the part of the tag team match that's very hard to, like, describe on a podcast. Yeah, it's just messy. Everybody's fucking around in there. We get the first interaction, though, between Eddie and June as Eddie runs in to break it up when June sets up an exploder on Ortiz. Everybody fights. Takeshita hits a blue thunder bomb on Ortiz. And then it's a big, fat quadruple down until June and Eddie finally face off. Kingston takes some shots at June. June hits a headbutt. He comes off the ropes. Eddie hits an exploder. June gets right back up and hits an exploder on Eddie, who also gets back up. Eddie hits an enzigiri. June hits a knee to the face. Eddie takes a powder at that point. It's like, fuck this. We're losing this match. Let Ortiz handle it. Mm -hmm. That leaves June in the ring with Ortiz, whom he nails with a knee and an exploder for the three count. And that's it. That's the match. That's the show. That's the dream match that Eddie was waiting for, which I don't know, was completely paid off. Like, clearly, Akiyama pretty limited at this point. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. Do you have any other opinions about this match?
1: If it made Eddie happy, then I'm happy.
0: You're So fucking sweet. <laughs> Eddie Kingston does not deserve you.
1: <laughs> yes, Eddie, you do. You do deserve <laughs> me. You can have me, Eddie. Eddie. Okay, I got to ask you, since we're talking about Eddie Kingston, now that you've seen like three hours of this, how do you feel about where your Chikara babies are and like how they're doing? Because there's a handful of Chikara babies who are now in AEW.
0: Yeah, yeah. For the listener who may not be acquainted, I was a big, big Chikara fan.
1: He went to King of fucking trios. I went to King of trios in England. Yeah, which is a different country.
0: I know. Hard to believe, but true. (laughs) I'm very happy with where they are. And honestly, I think that maybe they're better off. I mean, obviously, in a certain sense, like financially, I'm sure they're better off here than in Chikara. But creatively, I think Chikara definitely had its strengths. But one of its strongest periods was with Eddie on top in Chikara. For those who may not be aware, Eddie was a longtime champion in Chikara. And I think his seriousness and his gravitas did so much for Chikara. Oh, yeah. And likewise, I think being surrounded by comedy wrestling really threw Eddie into stark relief. I see here the same kind of chemistry that made Eddie work so well in Chikara. Eddie is gifted at conveying to the wrestling viewer, okay, there's all this other bullshit and we all love it. I love it too, but this is serious. Mm, Yeah. That's such a thing that Eddie does. and. I think that that works really well in AEW, where the tone and sort of the reality of the product is less tightly controlled than in WWE. It really, really hits here. Yes. I think that the best part of this match was Eddie's promo and Eddie's silence in the buildup. Mm. It really trumped any... And I can tell they engineered everything in the ring to deal with like the capabilities of... All of the participants, they had what they had. They did what they did. It's fine. But the build, starting with Dynamite last time, was perfect. And that really does come down to Eddie's character. Oh, yeah. And the fact that like as a performer and as a character, he is just like hitting on all cylinders here. So I'm very happy with where Eddie is. He is a compelling person and performer and character and has deserved this kind of exposure for a long time. And now that he has it, he's definitely like he's delivering. He's not just taking advantage of the exposure, but he's performing in the sense that I was looking forward to this match a lot more than it deserved, (laughs) frankly. Oh, yeah. Because of the build. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah. Love Eddie Kingston. Love what he's doing here. Super happy for him. Yeah. And then for the others, Bryce Reimsberg, I think I've mentioned maybe last time, like he's the one who sold me on like there might be something to this AEW thing. Yeah. They see the value of promoting, like, hey, we've got Bryce Remsburg.
1: Yes. They haven't given Bryce Remsburg enough to do, but I am so glad he's there, and he does get to do a lot more fucking around on Dark. Everybody gets to do a lot more fucking around on Dark, which is – it's it's a magical place.
0: Listen, I've watched three hours of AEW now. I think I'm something of an expert.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you're a tall white man on oh, the internet. Oh, god yeah.
0: yeah, I've gone above and beyond. I already had an opinion about this, but I've sat and patiently watched the evidence. Yeah, Chris, quote unquote, did his own research, you know? Oh, yes, yes, yes. All of this wrestling happened where I could have seen it if I wasn't image searching Hook during it. And uh, <laughs> I, I feel like this is not Chikara. And it's good that they realize that. Yes. This is a different product. It's a different company. And they're able to incorporate the talent from Chikara in a way that fits into the overall vibe of the product. And so, like, I'm not mad that Bryce Rumsberg hasn't had more to do. Like, I love to see him do his thing in Chikara. And I hope to see him do his thing in a more flamboyant way here. But there's a sense in which I'm happy that it's not, like, right out of the gate. Like, to me, that means It's not disposable. If they were going to like do like it, you know, Joey Janela's spring break or whatever and do like invisible man versus invisible man and have Bryce Remsburg, you know, officiate it. To me, that indicates we're hot shotting Bryce Remsburg and then he's out of here. Mm. The fact that they're using him as a regular referee for matches where he's appropriate indicates to me that like we see the ongoing value in having this be a part of the product. So later on, we may see him in more of a starring role in some strange way. I hope so. That's more respectful of the talent. They're not treating him like a James Ellsworth, who's never going to really be a thing. Mm. But like, he's got a moment where he kind of catches and it's like, let's capture that. Let's extract the value Ah. out of it and let's throw him away. So yeah, yeah. To answer your question, very happy with where the Chikara folks have landed.
1: Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, it's very lovely, especially to have... Claudio there now. You get to see them. They were somewhere on the East Coast and the Chikara alums went and did a show. And I think Bryce Remsberg, he posted a picture of the Chikara alums at a show with Ultramantis Black.
0: Ah, Ultramantis Black.
1: I know. My favorite good Skeletor boy. I love him so much. Would marry him still. He would be a terrible husband, but I love him. <laughs> Oh, also, I wanted to ask you all right, you've seen Dynamite two hours. You've seen Rampage one hour. Which is your preferred? Did you feel like one of them was better than the other? Now, granted, you are seeing them both on like go home week. So obviously, they are at their very shiniest and cleanest they're ever going to be. I
0: think Dynamite is the more produced show. I like the duality, I guess, is the answer. Like, I think that. Having a show for like the flagship to be the flagship and then having a different thing for the niche kind of like dedicated wrestling fan audience to get its part of the product is appealing to me. So it's not that I like one more than the other, but I I feel the difference. Mm, Yeah, like it was nice on this show not to have... MJF.
1: Oh fuck yeah! Like it was
0: nice on the show not to have you know the big storyline kind of dominate it, and instead to get to just be able to enjoy all of the other kind of like smaller things that are happening. You know what this feels like to me is Sunday Night Heat, weirdly, which was always the C show for WWE during the time that I was watching wrestling Ooh. the most, and that was where you got to see your favorites who would never be in a match on Raw, really. I didn't care until you said C-Show, and then I was like, oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heat was like, this is the show nobody cares about. So... Oh, perfect. Love it. Yeah, yeah. This is where you get to see the people that, like, you like. This is where, like, we need to feed tests to people every Monday. So on Heat, he gets a win against whoever the fuck. Like, whoever we have. Yeah, it's very beautiful. And then Like, once a month, Heat is the lead-in show to the pay-per-view. So, it's like, here's some shit that would never, like, we're not going to sell our company or our product on the basis of this bullshit. But once a month, you get that straight into the pay-per-view. Like, all the money matches. Aww. Yeah, it's great. It's like Crash Holly versus, I don't know, who the fuck, Maven, I don't know. And then we do pay-per-view matches. There was something really special about Heat. And I I get that from this. I get that from like the go home rampage.
1: I like rampage a lot. I like what they have
0: to do in an hour.
1: It used to be wall to wall wrestling and very little like packages and promos and stuff like that. I don't mind the packages and promos as long as there's no MJF. And minimal Jericho. That's my preference.
0: Minimal Jericho.
1: Yeah, not no Jericho. I can stand a little bit of Jericho in in my rampage, but I don't want to be inundated. Well, look, Jericho's really taken on a kind of just yelling things as a thing. And I, that's, ah, there's only so much of that I could listen to before I'm like, it is all just noise now. I cannot care.
0: Jericho's heel work is really on the line between shoot and work. I feel he's operating on a level that few heels work on where he understands exactly what gets to people. And I think he has followed the audience from the realm of kayfabe into the realm of like most of the audience's smarks. And so, yeah, he's smart enough to be annoying to the devoted fan when he's a heel.
1: Thank you for that breakdown and thank you for letting me know how you found the episode overall. All right. Now we're going to go straight into the sights, sounds and feels of AEW rampage. Chris Newton, what did your elf eye see? Hook. (laughs) I'm shocked. Tell me all about him.
0: This motherfucker's hair looks like Chrono in Chrono Trigger. (sighs) Oof. He looks so goddamn soft and hard at the same time. I am entranced by Hook. Did you see his chest hair, by the way? Yes, I did. I know that you did. It was a rhetorical question.
1: Do you want me to send you like an 8x10 for your room?
0: I don't even need it. Like, I'm going to go on my own journey with Hook. I appreciate your offer. Look, this is between me and him at this point. Okay. It's going to be... And it's fine. Like, I don't need him to, like, pay special attention to me. I'm not going to try to get in touch. It's just, like, whatever's publicly available from him. I'm going to take care of everything. I've been in this situation before. Like, I've had wrestling crushes before. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You've introduced us. You've done your part. I'll take it from here. Okay. Just Good. for the purposes of the segment, like, what did I see? Yes. Yes. I saw Hook. Okay.
1: Sorry, I was just picturing you writing, you know, Chris Hook on your notebook.
0: (laughs) I don't know what part of his name I would take. I mean, I guess it's, you know, whatever. We'd negotiate it.
1: Whatever fucking party wants you to take, baby.
0: I mean, yeah. Hook, if you're listening, by all means, whatever you've got, I'll fucking take it. Bob, what did your... Elf eyes see.
1: Oh man. It was so powerful whenever Athena did that backhand spring, stop short, and then just slap the taste out of Mass and Wayne's mm. mouth and then just did that like queen wave. I was like, ah, oh, you're. <sighs> that hit for me in a way that the women's wrestling does not always hit, but whenever they're mean and they're mean in that way, it definitely works. Like Athena doing it. Jade Cargill doing it. God, there's a couple others who could pull it off, but a lot of the women's division like if Britt Baker's doing it, it doesn't hit as much for me. But god damn, Athena doing that was truly beautiful. I was I was very
0: happy. Oh yeah. Being mean is a gift and not everybody has it, but like when people do, it's it's perfect. This is why I watched Sasha versus Bailey one. Oh yeah. On my wedding day.
1: (laughs) What did your Vulcan ears hear?
0: The main thing, I really went through the show and like there was a ton of commentary, of course, because it's like a four person booth. But like, yeah, the thing that stood out to me was Eddie Kingston's silence. Like it made me Mm. think of I was listening to Comedy Bang Bang and this is so fucking obscure, but like go with me on this. So I was listening to okay. like a Christmas episode where they were talking about one of the episodes over the course of the year. So this is a great chance because you get to hear like Scott Ackerman and Paul F. Tompkins talk about Ooh. a bit that they did during the year because they're introducing like top clips from the year. And they were talking about a particular clip and saying like the joke here, like the fun here is here we have like a, such a gifted improviser in the studio And we are not letting him talk. Like, we're cutting him off and, like, having fun with the fact that we have such a great talent here. And we are preventing him from talking at every turn. So, it's like meta improv. It's like... Yes. The fact that Eddie goddamn Kingston Mm -hmm. is not cutting a promo is the loudest thing in this episode. That's very good. Yeah. Did it for me. Sold the whole match. Megan Bob, what did your... Vulcan ears here.
1: Whoa! Boom. Chuck Taylor hands over a VHS tape (laughs) to Renee Paquette. Trent holds up a hand and, like, looks at everybody goes, like, I emailed it. Like, it's fine. Oh, my fucking God. I love Chuck Taylor so much. I love that Chuck Taylor's role is, like, just bizarre weirdo. Mm -hmm. And that... Trent's role is like, no, it's okay. This is my partner, but like, don't worry, he's fine. I've taken care of everything. It's it's totally fine. And that everybody's like, just accepted that this is the dynamic and that there is no tension between the two of them about the fact that Chuck Taylor lives in a different world. Mm-hmm. And like, they do not love each other less for it. It is so <laughs> beautiful. They belong together. They're happy and also that Chuck Taylor lives in a world where you can easily get a VHS.
0: Right? I was thinking about that. I was like, did Danhausen do this? Did the, is this like a special, is this a simpatico between Danhausen and Chuck Taylor? Or did Chuck Taylor transfer this to a, to a VHS? Like, I would not put it past
1: Chuck Taylor to have transferred it to a VHS, <laughs> VHS on some, like, Thing that was happening in his head That he was like, yeah, I know A VHS, and like I know, I follow him on social Media slightly, and I know he's You know, a normal human being The asterisk But I just love who Chuck Taylor is On AEW When Orange Cassidy had not Wrestled on AEW at all yet And also really hadn't spoken At all yet was just kind of coming to the ring with the best friends. And they were preparing, they were leading up to their first big pay-per-view and he was going to have a match with Pac. And so they, you know, they brought him to the ring and they were going to, you know, Tony Schiavone was going to interview him or whatever. And Chuck Taylor was there. Trent was there. They were like sort of asking him, like, you know, what's going to happen? And Chuck Taylor like just leans in. He's like, you know what? He's going to try and that's like became the chant of like he might try he (laughs) might try and it was just and chuck taylor said it with such conviction of like when he tries he tries not like he'll win just like you haven't even seen anybody try that hard it's the tryingest trying (laughs) that i've ever tried and you're like oh chuck taylor you're amazing i love you so, yeah. Chuck Taylor just doing this as a bit and the best friends being so perfect. I love them. Bless them. They should be in everything.
0: I enjoyed the best friends a lot.
1: They're special and I love them. What did your human heart
0: feel? Hmm. Let me think. Oh, Hook! Hook! <laughs> Gasp. This fucking... This, uh, oh, I cannot express to you how much I was into this man. This... Oh, Jesus Christ. I was not ready. From what you've told me, it's clear like there was a build here. I missed the build. I know. So I just like came in right at the top of the roller coaster and then just plummeted straight the fuck down. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I, I I I bought into Eddie Kingston's like this is a dream match for me. Junakiyama, he's a big deal, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But when I look back on this, like I'm not gonna remember that. I'm gonna remember the anime protagonist hair of this beautiful beautiful man it's just i think it's really considerate the way that he puts his name right on his trunks so that like when you kneel down in front of this man you're like oh yeah this is fucking hook you get that beautiful moment before you pull them down that's i I just i think that's really a sweet thing for him to do you know in case you forget who it is no i'm never gonna forget no you're not just i want to be reminded I get it. I get
1: it. Never, I don't think in my experience, has not just a man, but just like anybody in my sort of period of time, like throwing people at media and saying, and just like watching what happens, has anyone come so far in one hour? You are a different person and I feel privileged to see it.
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't understand his name at first I was like hook what the fuck is that but then I understood this like truly he's gonna grab you like when you see his face when you see his body he's gonna grab you he's going to take your sexual orientation he's gonna pull it over here no i'm I'm very happy to have been through this process with you if if nothing else if we gain nothing else from this series that we've done um I think that fully committing to like I'll just I'll. <laughs> I get...
1: It's a powerful mm-hmm. feeling. I'm glad you've experienced it.
0: Yeah, Bob. What did your human heart feel?
1: Eddie Kingston. Uh huh. If Eddie Kingston is on the screen, it is always Eddie Kingston. It will always be Eddie Kingston. The end. Mm-hmm. When Eddie Kingston showed up, this was whenever Cody Rhodes was just like open challenge. It was the middle of the pandemic. They were at Daly's place like random indie wrestlers would show up and wrestle him. Eddie Kingston showed up. We popped super hard for it. We were really excited to see Eddie Kingston because we'd seen him in Chikara and we fucking loved him. Then to have him signed. Oh my fucking God. It was so exciting. And then to have him start to be kind of featured sometimes. And then him being at a big fucking venue and the entire venue chanting Eddie. It it meant everything to get to see this person who has fucking worked and not gotten even like a fraction of the acclaim that he deserves.
0: Oh my god. Yeah.
1: And really there is no amount of acclaim that would be enough for what he does because it's not like his gift is not wrestling this is like specifically that's his medium but like he's an artist that just happens to be the medium he works in he's something other so my mom has watched pay-per-views with me and loves wrestling doesn't super care or like follow it but is is ready to be swept up cm punk debuted you know he hadn't wrestled a match yet he was saving it for the pay-per-view mom came and watched the pay-per-view and like the whole time when's cm punk coming out When's cm punk coming out mom it's not for a
2: while
1: (laughs) (laughs) they're not going to put that at the beginning of the Mm pay-per-view okay cut to you know later on cm punk is being shitty to eddie kingston following pay-per-view mom demanding CM Punk's blood (laughs) going like fuck this trash like who gives a fuck about CM Punk like he's being mean to Eddie Kingston this man is shit because nobody gets to treat her like wrestle son like that her only negative comment about Eddie Kingston during that match was the most momly I wish Eddie wouldn't bite
0: (laughs) oh That's part of loving him, surely.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't love him as a mom if you don't, like, just, you know, say that. Just go, like, "Ah, he's going to get something, you know. Who knows where CM Punk's been? Yeah, absolutely. Probably dumpster diving. He's freaking written all over him. But anyway, no, Eddie Kingston is so goddamn important to me. I love him. He is Everything. That piece, uh, Eddie Kingston shouldn't be here. I don't know. Did you read it? Mm. (gasps) Hmm. Holy fucking shit. I'll send it to you later. That came out, mm, I think about a year ago, about like the point at his life he was at whenever he came into AEW. And he was like, I might have to sell my shit because I cannot pay the bills this way. And, For all that AEW has fault after fault after fault. Yeah, I'm not going to fucking defend AEW as like, you know, the answer to WWE. That's not its fucking job. It just is the thing it is. That's fine. AEW has my heart forever for giving Eddie Kingston a platform and a fucking paycheck. I will forgive so much To keep that man alive and not like on the road hustling at shows like having to move merch on his own, all that other shit. I want him to be able to make the kind of art that he wants to make and to be able to go home and like have some kind of fucking life. I just want that for Eddie. And for him to get to have these matches that he wants to have and to get to have them in a platform that like... People can fucking watch them that isn't like hunting through IWTV.
0: Oh, yeah. It is such a distinctive pro wrestling experience. The only parallel I can think of is like stand-up maybe where it's like this person is a genius and they're doing something that is worthy of global acclaim for 20 people. Yes. And you're waiting for the moment when they get that platform because all they need is for people to see it, to recognize you know, you're just waiting for the moment. To see Eddie Kingston get that at this stage, it is just like, yeah, it truly. It, I don't know if it's a, if it's hitting me quite the same way that it's hitting you. Like, clearly, you have a deep emotional investment in this. But even from a more detached perspective, just to see the excellence of what he's doing acknowledged. Yeah, that is a classic pro wrestling fan moment of like, now everybody sees how good he is. Like, if nothing else, there's a moment of recognition. Like, this is a world-class talent that has been hustling through small towns. And now at least the world got to see that he deserves to be here.
1: And I think the reason they gave Eddie Kingston this particular match is because he's not going to be on the pay-per-view. And he's been on a lot of the other pay-per-views. And so, this is kind of like, I don't know, this was a sop to Eddie Kingston. I doubt it was. But I think it was recognition that the fans love him and with good goddamn reason. This is, you can have some Eddie Kingston content. And the best part about Eddie Kingston is that kind of doesn't fucking matter if the match is exceptional or not. It's like, if Eddie Kingston's in it, it's magnetic. You can't look away. Eddie Kingston wrestles a style I don't give a shit about. I don't particularly care about the way that he (laughs) wrestles at all. But I can't look away. Because he's so good at telling a story with what he's doing. This has no flippies. This has no like weird shit. This is just a man chopping another man. I could watch it for hours. Tremendous.
0: This is main event style wrestling working on you. That's remarkable. That's why main event style wrestling is what it is. It's like once you're invested in the character... Like, I don't need to shorten my career by doing crazy shit. It's just like, you know what it means when I chop somebody. You know what it means when they chop me. You can just tell the story.
1: I love that Eddie Kingston is the kind of wrestler who was never able to do any of the crazy shit. Like, just physically never had it in him to do that, really. And has just committed to going, I'm going to be the most charismatic person in the company. I'm going to be the person who... You cannot look away from. I'm going to be the best goddamn storyteller you have ever seen. And it doesn't matter that I'm working with a limited palette. I am going to do things with this that are going to take your fucking breath away. Eddie Kingston is everything. I love him. Thank you, AEW, for keeping this man's career alive. (sighs) Thank you so much for joining us as I make Chris watch way more wrestling than he put me through. So come back next time for an episode that may probably almost certainly will be a two-parter out of necessity as we try to tackle the, all you can watch buffet of wrestling. That is the four hour pay-per-view.
0: What the fuck? Four hours.
1: You already agreed to it, baby. Full gear 2022.
0: (gasps) Bye. Bob, you motherfucker. I cannot believe four hours. Jesus Christ. Should have read the fine print.
2: The NXT Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown, and this week recorded on VHS, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and Stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook at The NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Chris on Twitter at MegadumbCast and Megan Bob at MeganBobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts, And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: I clicked on something, and my computer wanted to show me a bunch of headlines, and I was like, no, don't tell me about the world. Fuck off. Uh Especially because it wanted to tell me about, like, weird random somebody gave birth to a squirrel shit and i'm like that's not anything uh, msn fuck off i hate that i know i mean look we'd all be thrilled to give birth to a squirrel <laughs> like we're only human
0: <laughs> we waited for this day for so long but you know no, i mean listen imagine the joy when a squirrel comes out of your body and you're like what the fuck and then a doctor's like this squirrel is your child oh what a relief
1: there was a play that one of the lines was, I, God damn, it was such a weird one-act play. I just vividly remember my friend having to like get into kind of a giving birth position to talk about the experience of giving birth to a bunch of squirrels and describing it as peeing squirrels. <laughs> 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 and then all the squirrels like, escape out the window fully ready to you know join the world and then in the process of like 15 minutes this woman is now like given birth and like lost her squirrel children okay anyway we should move on
0: okay oh we're we're doing so well i'm so sorry
1: lucas